welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you very much for, for the opportunity to talk with you guys this morning. Um, as Adam mentioned, my name's Paul Ebner, and um, I am not a pastor. I don't do sermons. This is my first time teaching in front of the church, so uh, this is your first time hearing from me, my first time speaking to you, so we're all on the same page. Um, uh, I have been working in finance for the last uh, a little more than 15 years, and um, yeah, I you know early on thought about uh, you know if I wanted to go into full-time ministry and had a a couple really interesting conversations with pastors and other people and, and decided that, that I felt really called to a career in finance. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing uh, with my, my professional life. And then on the, on the side, you know, helping and volunteering at places like, like TLC. So today we're gonna talk about um, the spiritual gift of generosity. As Adam mentioned, this expands beyond just financial giving to giving our time, giving our resources. As Adam even mentioned, giving our emotions, being, being open with people. Um, but it, it also includes finance um, and finances. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So if we jump forward to the, the agenda, um, we'll start by recapping spiritual gifts. First off, as I mentioned, I, I work in finance. Most of my public speaking has to do with like pitching people a hedge fund that I manage or a mutual fund. So if this feels like a financial pitch, you're gonna see charts and stuff. I apologize. <laughs> I tried to like weed all that out as much as I could and make this more of a, a, of a sermon, but you will see charts that go up and to the right just because I can't put together a slide pitch without, without putting one in there. So, so uh, for our agenda, so we're gonna start by recapping spiritual gifts. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about biblical generosity. We're gonna define it, what is it? We're gonna define why it matters to you this morning, whether you have a lot of money, whether you don't have a lot of money, whether you don't even know what money is. We're gonna describe what biblical generosity looks like, um, how it applies to our lives, and then finally, I'm gonna offer up a couple words of, of caution for those of us that are gifted in, in generosity. So moving forward with the, um, uh, the spiritual gifts. So we talked about 1 Corinthians 12, um, and that was basically where Paul introduces to the Corinthians a whole list of spiritual gifts. And he goes through uh, a number of them and talks about how they are all gifted by the same authority. They're all given to us from God. And they're given to us, that's how we, that's how we minister. Um, that's how we are the arms and legs of the church. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 12, it emphasizes that they're all coming from the same source. There's no one gift that's better than another gift. So, being generous with your finances and time, it's no better than being able to preach or offer up uh, words of knowledge or speaking in tongues or other gifts. They're all there for us to basically build a body and he talks about eyes and ears and legs and feet and the brain and the brain can't say to the feet, hey, I'm more important than you are. First uh, Corinthians 13 uh, takes an interlude and says, hey, listen, all these gifts are, gifts are great, but these gifts are really about love. They're about God expressing his love to us, and we need to use these gifts in love. And if we're not doing that, if we're just exercising our gifts 
we're basically a, a, a noisy symbol. We're a, a clanging, uh, clanging bell. And then 1 Corinthians 14 says that we should all be seeking, desiring these gifts. So you can't just look up there and say, you know what, I'm not really interested in that gift. I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Not, not even going to try on that one. We should all be seeking these gifts and, and looking to live into them. Some of them are going to be just apportioned to us more generously than others, and they're going to feel a lot more natural. Um, but the most important thing is that we should be using these appropriately. So there's a, a natural order to, um, to the gifts. You know, we should be living in that order. Um, so moving on to the next slide and, and defining what does it mean to be generous. So in 1 Corinthians, it doesn't actually mention the spiritual gift of generosity, um, but it does show up in Romans 12, in verses 6 to 8. There's a couple different places in the Bible. There's like three sections, I think, that go through a list of spiritual gifts. Some gifts show up in every single section. A lot of gifts, though, just show up in one of these sections. And here, uh, in, in Romans 6.12, Paul includes uh, the gift of generosity. And from TLC's common, I guess, language that we've come up with, we've de uh, defined um, the gift of generosity as the spiritual capacity to display God's generosity by giving liberally, to meet the needs of others with pure motives. And again, as we mentioned, giving liberally, we can do that in multiple ways. We'll talk about multiple ways that, um, that we can do that today. So next slide, this is where the financial pitch comes in, right? So I can't do PowerPoint without charts that go up to the right like this. So I'm a, I'm a geek, I'm a quant, part of my job in finance is I, I manage this quantitative portfolio. So the first thing I do is I'm like, oh, how do I describe if, if giving is even important. Well, the first thing I do is I run a keyword search on BibleGateway.com. How many times does the word give show up? And I was actually really surprised. In the Bible, the word give shows up a little more than 1,500 times. How many times did the word pray show up? 500 times. Now, praying, that's super important, right? No one's going to dispute that praying is really important. So the word love shows up about twice as much as prayer, but only half as much as the word give. Now, I'm being generous here, I'm, uh, no pun intended, I'm using the word give, so give thanks would count. But still, giving is all throughout the Bible. It's not just a spiritual gift. It is core to God's narrative for his story for us. On the right, I, I said, all right, well, how about all these other words that have to do with giving? So I looked up donation, uh, donate, give, generous, generosity, generously, lavishing, offering, Almost 5,000 times in the Bible are there places that are talking about somehow giving something. We're going to talk at the very end about how God demonstrates this, this generosity and giving to us. But the reason why you care about this, even if you don't have the spiritual gift of generosity, God is generous to us. God wants us to be generous to him and to others. It's all throughout the Bible. This is one thing that you, can just, you can't ignore and say, you know what? That's just not me. It's not my gift. I'm not going to try to live into this. Some of us actually enjoy living into it. Everyone else, you kind of have to work at it. Let's go to the next slide. So I'm going to go through three examples. Um, the, you know, the interesting thing about generosity, the Bible, we'll talk about this later, tells us to, sort of be, um, to give, do our giving in secret. So we don't want to get up there and sort of, you know, hey, listen, guys, I gave $10 today. How great I am. So I looked, rather than referring to people, I looked in the Bible for examples, um, and, and I'll amplify those a little bit. But the first, the, the first example I'll read to you is from Mark 12, and it's the example of the, the widow. Essentially, it says, and he sat down opposite the treasury. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus sits down opposite the treasury, and he's watching the people put money into their offering box. 
They're at the synagogue. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. He gathered them around, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. So they all contributed, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she has, everything that she has to live on. So the first example, what's going on here? So some of you know in the Old Testament times, or in the New Testament times, if you're a widow, you were really at the bottom of the, of the social ladder, right? Women didn't have property, women didn't, uh, most women didn't really earn a living for themselves. You counted on your husband. If this woman's husband's dead, a lot of her means of financial security are gone with him. If she's lucky, maybe she has a son. In this case, he refers to her as a poor widow, so we don't know how she's getting by. She might be begging, she might be making her living other ways. But she's not in a great place, right? She's not in retirement in Boca Raton with like a boat and, and sort of enjoying herself. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus points out there's all these people that are giving a lot, large amounts of money, and she puts in the equivalent of a penny, right? Everyone reach in your pocket and pull out the penny that you have. Oh, we don't have pennies these days. Why? Because <laughs> a penny's pretty much worthless, right? But Jesus says, you know what, this woman's penny, which doesn't buy anything, that's why we don't make them anymore, this woman's penny is worth so much more than all of these large financial sums that these other people are giving. Why is that? What, what can you buy with a penny? How, how far did that penny get in terms of running that synagogue or that church? What kind of ministry was run from that penny? First lesson, one, we can all give at any time. It doesn't matter if we're rich, it doesn't matter if we're poor, it doesn't matter if we have a lot or a little. This woman had nothing, and she still gave sacrificially. She gave a lot. Second lesson from the story is that giving is relative. It's not how much you give. It's how much, how much you give sacrificially. And you might give a lot of money, and that doesn't really count for much. So it's not about the dollar amount or the time that we're investing. It's all of that relative to how much we have, where we are in, in, our, um, where we are in our faith. And then the, the, the third piece is um, that sacrificial giving is important. This woman gets called out because she's giving a lot. I'm sure that penny actually mattered a lot to her. It might not have mattered to the synagogue, but man, it mattered to her. She might have been able to buy something to eat that day. Sounds like that's not what she did with that money, though. So one example, the widow. Let's go to the next slide. So the next slide is from the early church, and it's from Acts 4. Actually, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, it's talking about how the church is being formed, and it gives a couple examples where everyone's living together in communion, and people that have assets, people that have fields or houses, are selling them and giving them to run the church. So Acts 4, 34 to 47 tells us that there was not a needy person among them, among the early believers, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, by which means, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of, of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what do we see in this example? So different example, right? Barnabas sounds like he's got a little bit of money, right? He's got a, he's got a field. I don't know if he's really rich, but he's got a field, so he's got something. And what does Barnabas do? Well, he gives out of his assets, and he meets a need. He sees that there's a need. The church, I don't know what's going on, 
I don't know if they're trying to get a new organ. Probably not. Um, that was a joke. Uh, feel free to laugh, guys. It's okay. Um, so he responds to some need that's, that's seen, um, that, that he sees. Uh, so, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of you know, thinking about this as another example, we still see sacrificial giving. Uh, so he's got a field. What is that field? It's more than just a piece of property. That field back then was a means of generating income. So he's just changed the trajectory of the rest of his life. His income is going down because he's given up that field and whatever income was going to generate it, and he brings that to, uh, to the church. So again, sacrificial giving, but from a very different place. Uh, let's go to the next example. The next example is from the book of Nehemiah. I don't know if, how many of you have gone through the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite. Um, and this, I think, is, is one of the most mature examples of, of generosity. I'll, I've got some excerpts up here. I'll, I'll unpack what's going on. So what, what I've, I've pulled out here, and actually, let me give you, before we read these, I'll give you a little bit of background. So Nehemiah was a, a really important person back in the Old Testament times. He lived during the period of the exile. So you guys know the story that the Babylonians, or sorry, the, I think it was the Assyrians came in and they decimated the, the Jews. Uh, the Jews got kicked out of Jerusalem, it got sacked. Then the Babylonians came in and then the Persians came in and took over from the Babylonians. And a bunch of the Israelites were taken to Babylon and to other cities and they became part of the ruling culture there. They were brought in. And Nehemiah is one of those Jews. Uh, so he's part of the government and it tells us in this passage that he was a cupbearer to the king, which tells us that he was um, a really important person. He was kind of like a chief of staff. Uh, so he would have been in a position of great prominence. And his brother comes back from, uh, from Jerusalem. At about this time, um, the, the king uh, allows some of the Israelites to go back and start rebuilding the temple. And his, Nehemiah's brother comes back and says, hey, I'm back. And Nehemiah says, well, what's it like in Jerusalem right now? What's going on there? And Nehemiah's brother gives him this really sad story about, man, it's in tatters. It's just decimated. Jerusalem, it's in rubble. It's rubble. The, the temple's been destroyed. Most importantly, the city walls, they've still been knocked down. They were knocked down when it was sacked by the, the, uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And we haven't rebuilt the city walls. Well, what's the big deal of that? Well, in those days, if you had anything, you had to protect it. And the city, everything good happened inside the walls. If you didn't have walls, as soon as you got something nice, somebody came in and took it. It was like the playground, right? So um, he sits down, and as soon as I hear these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's referring to the king. So right away, Nehemiah says, man, this moves my heart. I, I'm crushed that my people are living in poverty back in my land. And he says, I know I can do something about this. He says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. If we go to the next slide, he goes to the king, and this is, this is really risky on his part, right? If you go to the king and make a request and the king doesn't like your request, you get executed, you get booted, you're no longer in that job. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to Asaph, the keepers of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. 
So Nehemiah ends up going back to Jerusalem and he brings with him his wealth and he actually funds personally a lot of the rebuilding of the wall. He pays for people that are, he basically talks about feeding people from his table. He convinces the king to make him governor of Judea and he goes back and I love this, he convinces the king to provide a lot of the money to rebuild the walls. So the king has very little interest in making sure that Jerusalem's a safe city, right? The, you put that wall back up and what does Jerusalem become? It becomes a threat, it becomes a threat to the king, right? They now have a chance at, at rebellion again. So he, out of his abundance, out of his own personal wealth, and, and he's probably a very wealthy man, he recognizes the need and it moves him. God is at work, it's, he's his work in Nehemiah, God's at work right now in Ezra, so Ezra's a prophet, he's back in Jerusalem, he's trying to get the synagogue rebuilt, and Nehemiah says, I'm gonna use my wealth, and I'm gonna join in, and I'm gonna go back, and I'm not only gonna use my wealth, I'm gonna use my access to people that have wealth, and I'm gonna convince them to give money. I'm gonna go to the king at my own personal risk, and I'm gonna ask him, I need you to fund this. And I say this is one of the most mature examples of generosity, because Nehemiah is really living into his giving here. He's sacrificially giving out of himself. He could have stayed in this nice city and he could have you know, lived in the palace with the king and probably had a very nice life. He leaves, he goes back to Jerusalem, which is basically like, you know, like a war zone right now. He gives of his own personal income. He gives up his job for a short period of time and he says, give me this job. And then he asks other people to join in with him. So again, really leveraging his skills, leveraging his position, leveraging his wealth, leveraging his time, all of that to further God's, God's kingdom. So let's go to the, the next slide. So let's distill from this what the gift of generosity looks like. Uh, so first, you jump at the chance to meet financial needs. We're all called to be generous. Again, I said some of us actually enjoy this. So you might have the gift of generosity if you hear someone's need and there's a stirring inside your heart and you say, you know, man, that person really needs something. Well, I've got, I've got this thing over here. Or I've got some time. I could, I got a car. I could probably drive them. Something stirs inside of you and, and you wouldn't feel right not meeting that person's need. You might have the gift of generosity. You experience great joy when giving and there's no reluctance or compulsion or pretense. So there was no campaign. Ezra didn't have a you know, like a capital campaign to try to rebuild the temple. There was no, like, mailer that went out that Nehemiah read that he's like, oh, look, they're trying to, you know, trying to, you know, I guess I should probably give to this. There was no guilt. There was no um, fundraiser. This made Nehemiah happy. Same thing with Barnabas. Same thing with this poor widow. This really brought joy to them. There was no compulsion. Uh, you enjoy giving sacrificially. All these people, it doesn't say, you know what, I really thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss living here in, in Susa or man, that's a nice field, I'm really gonna miss that. There's no question, they just said, hey, we're gonna give this up. You adjust your lifestyle to give more to the kingdom efforts and this is, we're gonna talk a little bit more about as you mature in this gift. As you mature more in this gift, you say, you know what, I guess I could buy a new car this year but man, if I waited till next year to buy that car, I'd have all this extra resources that I could, I could do this with. I could do, you know, um, or you know what, instead of going on a vacation, maybe I'll go on a mission trip this year instead and, and, and I'm not gonna go down to the Caribbean. Um, the next two, I'm gonna say you may. You may have a special ability to make money. The widow didn't have that special ability. Barnabas had some wealth, we don't know how. 
Uh, Nehemiah, he had a special ability, right? He was highly gifted, he rose through the ranks, he got to a position of, uh, of, of authority. So he also had a special access to people with that ability. So you may be really generous, maybe you don't have money, but maybe a lot of your friends do. Maybe you don't have the time or maybe you don't have resources, but you know people that do. There are people in this church that are really gifted at that and I, I applaud them. They get others of us to, uh, to give to join them. Um, you may also be skilled at, at managing finances. Um, why would that matter? Well, if, you, if you're skilled at managing finances, you're probably able to make money. You're also able to do more with less. So it's about looking at your monthly bills and saying, you know what, man, I really wasted a lot of money this week eating out. Maybe I'm gonna eat out less going forward and I can, I can use more of that to do other things. Um, you may not be really good at that. That doesn't mean you don't have the gift of generosity. It means you need to find someone to help you, maybe budget, maybe come up with a way that you can spend less and you can do more with that. Let's move on to the, uh, the next slide. Um, so let's think about applying this in, in our lives. So we're all called to be generous. Um, and, and when we think about that application, I wanna remind us of, of Psalm 50. There's a, a part in Psalm 50 where God, where the psalmist says, God speaks to us and says, you know, you bring bulls and rams and doves to sacrifice on my altar, but I don't need your bulls. I don't need your rams, I don't need your doves. It says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. God has all the resources he need, needs. One of my favorite stories from the, the New Testament is Jesus is talking about, uh, uh, with Peter about the temple tax. And Peter says, yeah, yeah, we, we, we pay the temple tax. And uh, you know, these guys are, they're, they're roaming around. They, they don't have any income. I, I don't know what money they have. And uh, Jesus calls Peter over. He's like, so you just told that guy we gotta pay the temple tax? And Peter's like, yeah. And I'm sure there was a conversation of like, well, what money do we have to pay the temple tax? And Jesus says to Peter, uh, go over there and cast your net into the lake and catch a fish and tell me what's in the fish's mouth. So Peter goes to the lake, casts his net in there, pulls out a fish, and lo and behold, there's a coin in the fish's mouth, and it's for the same amount of money that's for the temple tax. I tell that story to remind us God doesn't need our money. He can create things, he can create circumstances. God doesn't need us to give, we need to give. Giving is really more for us than it is for God. Another quote that I love is from, uh, I'm gonna date myself here, but if anyone's old enough to listen to U2's Rattle and Hum album, there's this one line that Bono says during um, Bull of the Blue Sky. Uh, he says, the God, I've, the God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. And God's not short of cash, but we have resources and, and, and we benefit from joining in God's ministry. He's in, in fact incredibly generous with us, calling us to participate in, in, in that ministry. So how can, we, how can we be generous? Well, first off, you can volunteer your time and your energy to a ministry. It doesn't just have to be a TLC, it can be anywhere. You know, spend time doing something for someone other than yourself or your friends. Uh, spend time doing something sacrificially and, um, and that's one way to be generous. Giving financially is, is another important way to be generous. And you know, a, a lot of us remember, or maybe you remember um, some televangelists from the 80s and the 90s. You see people on TV all the time who are begging and pleading for money. I, I'm not up here saying, you know, we're desperate for your money and you know, you've gotta give us money. I am saying that if you have resources, you need to guard your heart and you need to protect yourselves 
from basically the affluence that we have. One way to do that is by giving generously to, to others. TLC is a place you can give. I would also encourage you to find other ministries. One way you can think about that would be you know, paying or giving some tithe, giving some proportion of your income to one ministry and then giving above that to, to, to others. The, the last piece on this application is that generosity extends, uh, again, beyond money, and that's because God provided all the blessings that we have to us. If you have a skill, if you are good at something, if you've inherited something, if you had parents who taught you things, all those are, are blessings from God, and we need to be generous with those. And here I reference Exodus 35. That's talking about when David builds the temple for the first time. Uh, or the, 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 sorry, when um, Solomon builds the temple. It talks about how uh, all the Israelites come together, and they all bring of themselves. Some of them bring their skills. If they're a goldsmith, if they're a... Uh, you know, good at um, you know, cooking for people, whatever it is, they show up and they do those things while they're building the temple. If they had gold, they brought gold with them. If they had timber from their, from their forest, they brought timber. It actually says, if you have instruments, come bring your instruments and, and, and play for us. So use your skills and use them generously for TLC and other places. Um, and, and that includes, you know, things like time and, 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 uh, and, and you know, just even having a car and taking people for a ride. Um, the, the first things on this page, I, I cite scripture, so I've got references. These last two are my interpretation. I didn't find a particular scripture in the Bible that says exactly this, but from what I've read and from, from my experience, I believe these things very much to be true. The giving of our time, of our, of our finances, of our, our skills, it's one of the best ways to help us be protected from being corrupted by our affluence. And I want you to take a step back and think globally for a minute. So in this room, we come from all walks of life. Some of us grew up wealthy, some of us grew up less wealthy or maybe even in poverty. And right now, we all have different, um, uh, you know, different levels of income. Some make more than others. But on a global basis, all of us are doing far, far better than the vast majority of the world. What is, is considered working class here in Canada is actually considered quite wealthy in a lot of countries. So how do we protect ourselves, even in a place like Canada, from, being, from suffering from what I call affluenza and focusing on ourselves, focusing on um, you know, how do I get the latest gadget that I want? And it's by, by giving away these things. Um, the, the second sort of, uh, uh, the, the second thing I wanna, want you to take away is that giving is relative and proportional, and that the more you make, the greater the gap should be between how you could live and how you do live. So a lot of these stories that I showed you talked about um, you know, giving sacrificially, and uh, when I say relative, it means that if I give a dollar and you give a dollar, that may not mean the same thing. That may be a lot for me and a little for you, or it might be vice versa. So the more you make, the more you should be giving. And if you're thinking proportionally, so the tithe is a concept that comes up in the Old Testament, a little bit in the New Testament. If you're thinking proportionally about how much you give, the better off you are, the higher that percentage should probably give. So the more you should look at your peers and say, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not gonna do that vacation that, that, that they did this year, or uh, I'm not gonna buy the car that they bought. It's not to say that those things aren't good. It's not to say you shouldn't take vacations, you shouldn't have cars, and you know. Um, but it does say that the more you make, the, the, the more the, the difference should be of how you could live and how you do live. Moving on to the 
The next slide. Um, so let's think about maturing this gift. So for those of us that have the gift of, of, of giving or generosity, how can we mature in it? Um, well, all of us right now can start by giving sacrificially in our, in our present circumstances. So when I was 16, I, I worked at, um, at a, a valet par as a valet parking attendant at a country club, and I got paid um, a very, very meager minimum wage like we do in the US, and I got a lot of tips on top of that. And I got, um, those tips showed up in like basically $1 bills that like, you know, the person would sort of give you for running to get the car. And um, I didn't have a lot of money back then, but someone had talked about tithing, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is something I should do. So I started collecting those $1 bills, and I started taking 10%, or roughly 10%, and putting them into a little box. And I didn't know what to do with it. I just kind of stuck them over there. I didn't save up a ton of money. I think I saved up like 100 bucks over the summer. And at the end of the summer, um, our church had a missionary come in. This was back in like... I'm really going to date myself. This was like in the early 90s. And Haiti had had this really bad earthquake. And a missionary showed up, and they were going to Haiti the next day. And something sort of like moved in me and said, you know, you've got like 100 bucks in your cash box. Why don't you go get that and give it to this missionary? So I ran home in the middle of the, in the, middle of the service, got my cash box, and I showed up. And I showed up with 100 $1 bills. And these things were nasty. <laughs> because they had been like in my crumpled palm while I was like running for cars and they were all sweaty and stuff. And I basically like shoved this at this guy's foot. And again, $100, all right, you know, okay. It was, it was a little bit of money. It's not really gonna save Haiti, right? I don't know what it actually did. But that really moved me and that was the first time I ever gave. And that's probably when I first started thinking, you know, this, is, this might be something this might be something as part of my life. I didn't know about having a ministry of giving, but that was kind of sort of a start. Second, and as you mature in your gift, as you want to grow it, start being intentional about proportionate giving. So Genesis 14 introduces the tithe. Abraham, who's you know, the father of, of Israel, he uh, basically, his, his nephew Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he gets marauded and gets taken away. And Abraham is able to go and rescue Lot. And he's so excited, and they're celebrating. And this weird guy, Melchizedek, no one knows who he is. He shows up out of nowhere. He's a priest, and he comes and he blesses Abraham. And Abraham gets so excited by this blessing, he gives 10% of all of his wealth to, to Melchizedek. This is before the law says you should tithe or anything like that. This is how, this is how Abraham responds to this blessing and God's grace and he does it proportionally, he gives a tenth. He just doesn't give a random amount, he starts giving a portion of what he has. And again, that, that portion doesn't have to be 10%, it can be more. Um, third, so once you start proportionally giving, and think of that as your time, think of that as your, your resources, think of that as your money, now start thinking about arranging your life to give a higher proportion. So what did you do today? Did you really have to do that? Are you making more this year than you made last year? If you get a raise, start thinking, you know what, maybe I could, instead of giving 10% on my raise, maybe I'll give 11% on this new amount. Maybe as I get more and another raise, maybe I'll give 12% on that amount beyond that. See if you can, if you can find ways to, to grow, that, uh, grow that intentionally. Uh, fourth, be on the lookout for God's work. So 
listen like Barnabas did. So who's in need? Where's God working? Where do I hear people? Someone says, oh, the speaker's coming from the, the airport. He needs a ride. Well, you know what? I got a car and I'm free that day. Maybe, maybe I can go to and I can pick them up and I can drive them back. Or someone's coming to town and they need a place to stay. Well, I got a sofa. They can stay with me. Or you know what? They're talking about trying to build this thing and man, I've got a little extra. I could probably give, give some money to help them with that, that building. And then the last piece is, um, and again, this would be as you really grow into that gift, be strategic about it. Don't just give money. Give money and your time and your gifting and get involved. Um, I, I, there have been, uh, there's, a, there's a, a time and an opportunity where I've been fortunate enough to, to do this and it's really powerful. It's really cool to look at um, something that happens and say, man, I responded to God and I was able to help make that happen and God worked through my hands and, um, and people benefited from that and it's really cool. And before I start crying, we're going to uh, go to the next slide. <laughs> so this will be sobering. This will sober me up, too. Um, a few words of caution to the generous. Um, so all throughout the Bible, it tells us that, um, that God, will, God will bless the generous. And it says in many places that God blesses the generous so that they can be more generous. Proverbs 11 and 22 talk about uh, actually, even, even uh, 2 Corinthians 9 that we, that we read earlier talks about people that give will be given more. Um, you need to be prepared for that. So I'm going to speak to a few of you in the room now. So if some of you really have the gift of, of giving or maybe people that are listening to this. You're going to get blessed in a way with finances that's beyond your, your wildest imagination. And you're going to need to be ready for that. You're going to need to be ready to give that on. Um, there's a gentleman, Francis Chan, that I, I um, like. He's a, a pastor from California, and he talks about trying to grow his church and, uh, and, and, and writing this book, and the book was a bestseller, and he suddenly was just, had millions of dollars coming in from this book, and he looked at it and he said, I don't want anything to do with this money. This money came from God. I want it to go back from God. The second piece is, so when you're blessed to be a greater blessing, that gets complicated. It's not as easy as just bringing your $100 to the, the front of the church. It gets complicated. You're going to get tempted to not pass that blessing along fully. You're going to start thinking, you know what, oh, well, man, uh, I gave, gave a lot of money last year. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to give that much more this year. I already did enough. Um, you're going to be tempted not to pass that along. In Acts 5, it tells a story about, and I'm not going to jump into this for time, but two people who just like Barnabas say, we're going to sell this field. And they could have sold the field and given any proportion of that. They told people, we're going to sell the field and give the full amount, but they end up keeping back some, and then they gave the rest to the church. They were still quite generous, but they lied to the church. Um, and it's not about how much they gave or that they kept some back. It's that they weren't honest in their giving, and they had some pretty strong consequences from that. So you'll be tempted not to pass that along. You'll be tempted to look at your skills and say, this is for me, it's not for God. Um, it's important to remember in Luke 11, it tells us about the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they tithed. They gave a lot. They were very generous in their tithing. 
But in Luke 11, Jesus says, it's not about the gift, it's about the motivation, it's why you're tithing. So I would say, as you start to grow your giving, be aware of legalism. It's not the fact that you're giving 15% or 20%. That doesn't matter. That doesn't put you right with God. You're giving that out of generosity for the fact that you already are right with God. Matthew 6 tells us to our giving should be done in, in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give. Um, and this is at odds with the way the world wants to operate. If you give money to a school, they want to put your name on something. If you give money to a charity, they want to run your name in the newspaper. You want to make sure this is done in secret. And then finally, you know, there's multiple places in the Bible, so I couldn't even cite just one verse. Being generous with your money does not make up for unjust work. You can't work yourself to the bone. You can't work on Sundays. You can't work around the clock and give up being generous with your time just because you're gonna make a lot of money and hoard that up and then give that at the end of your life. That's, that's not what God means by being generous. Um, there's a lot of examples of uh, you know, people who, uh, like Andrew Carnegie, who basically worked people to the bone in his company. He extracted unfair profits through monopolies. And at the end of his life, he set up a foundation. But that doesn't make up for the fact that he destroyed his workers' lives. There's companies out there today, I won't mention them, where you're forced to basically work your fingers to the bone. Um, think carefully about whether or not that's a place that you should be right now. And even if you're able to give generously in those situations, think carefully about if that's where you should be. Let's go on to the next slide. So in sum, and I'll wrap this up, we give because God gave to us first. God was the ultimate giver. He's our model of generosity. Um, and Jesus is the ultimate example of that. In John 15, it tells us that um, there's nothing greater than to lay down our lives for others, just as Christ laid down his life for us. So in your generosity, we should be modeling Christ. It's not about modeling what's great for us. It's about the fact that we recognize that our time is a gift from God. We don't know how long we're gonna be on this earth. It might be a short time, it might be a long time. Our skills, our, our intelligence, our schooling, these are gifts from God. We should be giving those back. Our finances, you know, um, any one of us could be injured, we could have a crisis, and we may not have the money that we have today. And finally, the love that we receive from God, that's, that's his generosity to us, and let's, uh, let's give that back. I'm gonna pray for us, and then uh, I'm gonna turn us over to Adam, who's going to, um, we're gonna lead us into communion. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so generous to us, God. We can't help but see throughout the Bible your gifting of generosity and how you want us to respond to that. Father, I just pray that you would move in our lives. I pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord, that every person here would think about how they can give generously through their time, through their skills, through their possessions, through their finances, Lord. And I thank you that it's not what we give, Lord, but it's the fact that we understand and we recognize, Lord, that you gave to us first. And I pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. If you wanna know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.